Thanks for checking out the Word of Life Aging podcast. Our church exists to lead individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus Christ. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay connected to us, and we would absolutely love to see you at one of our services, 10 a.m. Sunday mornings, in person or online. We hope you enjoy this week's message from our guest speaker, Dr. Dwayne Durst. Good to be at Word of Life this morning. I'm glad that uh, Bev is here with me. Uh, I used to introduce her as my bride. We were on a trip, and afterward, before we made a two-and-a-half-hour drive home, she looked at me and said, don't ever do that again. I said, what? She said, don't ever call me your bride. I said, why not? She said, bride is entry level. I've paid too high a price to get to where I am. So I said, so what do I call you? And she said, you call me your queen. I said, okay, what does that make me? And she said, the king, when I say so. I put my head on the steering wheel and said, it's going to be a long, long drive home. Bev, would you stand and greet everybody this morning, please? And I had my favorite fourth grandchild here sitting with me on the front row, and Matthew. Thank you, Matthew, for your assistance. You're part of a big family. When uh, I became, walked into the office as superintendent of the New York Ministry Network, the district back then, I had a dream and a desire that we would not be 350 isolated faith communities spread across the state of New York, but one family serving the Lord together. Out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, out of every community, upstate, rural, Adirondacks, Catskills, Metro New York, Long Island, and the cities across the center. We would be one church family serving Jesus together and impacting the culture of our communities. The uh, mission of the New York Ministry Network, the vision, is that we would see gospel transformation in every community in New York. We define a community as one that has a high school That means if there's a public high school there, we've got a community where there needs to be gospel transformation. And in New York, we have some 12 to 1,300 communities. So with 350 churches, we've got a little bit of work to do. Our vision is that we would strengthen a network of healthy leaders and healthy churches. We realize that we can't have healthy churches unless we have healthy leaders. And so our focus is to pour into the life of our credential holders, our 850 credential holder families, to give them the tools and the equipment and the resources they need to be successful, and then to help our churches to be uh, missional, to have a vision to touch their community. And it's one of the things I appreciate about Pastor Randy, your former pastor, the vision that he had to reach uh, Baldwinsville and this uh, part of Syracuse. And I know Pastor Tom and Megan do as well. It's an honor to call them friends and thankful for Pastor Tom's uh, trust in allowing me to minister to you this morning. I figure that any mess up that I make, he can fix in a couple of weeks when he gets back. I was here in February of 2002, and I spoke to you on a message, Your Key to Success. And uh, 
The culmination of the message was that we should be more like this, a transparent vessel in whom Jesus lives so that he would be the gospel known and read of all people who would encounter us, that we would have peeled away the labels and the stuff on the outside, and I'll talk about that later in the message, and that we would be the pure reflection of Christ. I was back here in October of 2018. I told Pastor Randy from, 20, from 2002 until 2016, that, or 18, that was 16 years. I asked him if I had offended him or something that I wasn't here in all that time. But in 2018, he was on vacation. I spoke to you a message on God's waiting room. The delay is not denial. The fact that you don't have the promises of God fulfilled today does not deny the reality of the promises that God has given, that they will come to pass. We hold on to them. The evidence of that is a Joseph who went to prison and uh, looked like all of his dreams were gone, but his conduct in the waiting room determined his outcome. If he would have grumbled and complained in prison, nobody would have remembered him, and we wouldn't even know who Joseph is. So in the waiting, we conduct ourselves with integrity, and God brings his promises to pass. When I was back uh, in May, and we did the celebration of Pastor Randy and Mary Ann's last Sunday and Pastor Tom's installation, I gave you my outline for this morning, and I want to put some flesh on the bones for you today. Um, how many of you have scars? Oh, look at those hands. I have one on my thumb right here. It's just a, it's hardly visible now, but it goes right across the knuckle. Every time I look at that, I think of a 1963 Ford Fairlane. Because I'd, when uh, Bev and I were to get married, I was distracted on the way to the wedding and I ran into a city bus and it bent my bumper. So some months later, we were visiting my parents and I decided I was gonna put a new bumper on the car, but the wrench slipped when I'm on my back on the garage floor and ran my thumb across the bottom edge of the bumper and it sliced it to the bone. I look at that and I think of that sky blue 63 Ford Fairlane and it left its mark on me. Some of you have had surgeries, and you've had injuries, and you have scars. And when you think and see those scars, you're reminded of that painful event. Some of us have scars that aren't quite so obvious as that one might be, or a surgical incision. But scars that are left on us because of events in our lives. I have a scar that... Uh, came out of a deep love from my home church. Uh, being able to serve as an interim pastor when the senior pastor left as I was wrap up, wrapping up my doctoral studies, I was invited by the church council to consider being the pastor of the church. And I thought, you know, that is the perfect answer in every young pastor's life that you could pastor your home church. Until the district superintendent told the church council that they needed a great man of God, and if a great man of God was going to be elected, I needed to leave. So I was fired from my home church. 
because they needed a great man of God. And there were some implications there that I think you can probably pick up on. Those can be scars that will uh, mark you and haunt you that there was rejection, that there were those who did not think highly of you. But I would tell you that I wouldn't be standing here in front of you today if I hadn't gone through that. And I would tell you that God can use the scars of life to reveal his presence and power and glory in your life in ways that you never could have imagined. But you need to stop looking at the scars. So this morning we're going to look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. How many of you remember the day that you were saved? Remember the day you met Jesus? I was 15 years old, so it was about 30 years ago. I was a Presbyterian kid, went into an Assemblies of God church, and our youth pastor, Jerry Qualls, uh, was teaching us songs. And there was a song that uh, he led us in. It went like this, branded, I'm not my own, branded, I'm his alone, I belong to the King of Kings. I've given to him my everything, I'm branded by love divine. Well, I have, and Bev will tell you, I have a bit of a wild imagination. And so I pictured Pastor Jerry out behind the fellowship hall with a fire, with a branding iron. And I thought, you know what? We're going to stand for the rest of youth service by the time he's done. We're not going to be able to sit down. But I want to talk to you this morning about being branded and marked, not by scars, but by the marks of Jesus, indicating the ownership of Christ in our lives, that we belong to him. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We're his kids. John chapter 17, verses 6 to 11, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He says, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me. Here's the key. And they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours, and all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world, aren't we? And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Father, we bow for a moment and just say, have your way and let us see your marks, your brands in our lives that indicate your ownership, that we belong to you. Not only for our sake, but for the sake of all of those around us and those who see us. May they see Jesus in us, through us, and hear him in all that we say, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Pastor Tom, I know, preaches great messages. I enjoy his uh, teaching. Usually a good three-point message. I'm not quite so good, so you're going to have six points. This morning, it takes me twice as long to get through it. So here we go. First mark, 
found in John chapter 17, verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I think the first mark of belonging to Jesus is joy. Joy in every circumstance of life. I have yet to find someone who accepted Christ and went into depression. Now, I did see my atheist father get saved, and he shed tears, but they were tears of joy. And uh, as he sobbed all one Sunday afternoon and could only say, there's a God, there's a God, I know there's a God, walked the aisle that Sunday night and committed his life to Christ. There may be tears of joy, but joy is the first mark that characterizes the life of the Christian, not because it's more important, but because we've been delivered from the guilt of sin, we've been delivered from all of those things that have crippled us, and we understand that God has a process to, to transform us from where we are to where he wants us to be. Unfortunately, for a lot of Christians, we're not always characterized by joy, but discouragement, fear, loneliness, grief, anxiety over tomorrow, self-consciousness, all of those things begin to creep in on our lives. We need to focus on Jesus, who is our joy, and not rely on others for our joy. Nobody's going to make you a joyful person if Jesus can't. Nobody's gonna bring joy and happiness into your life if Christ cannot do that. And if Christ has brought joy into your life, nobody can rob it away. Nobody can take it, no circumstance of life. In fact, the reason joy is so significant in Christians is that we exhibit joy when there's no rational reason for it. We can have joy when we're going through testing. We can have joy when the bank account is low. We can have joy when we're suffering grief. We can have joy in the midst of sickness. There can be joy at every stage of life and the world looks at us and says, what in the world is the matter with you? How can you have joy? And we can say, it's easy, it's Jesus. He makes the difference in everything that I experience. <clears throat> we don't depend upon our others for joy. There's a little sonnet that goes this way, to dwell above with saints in love, that will be true glory. But to dwell below with saints I know, that's a different story. Look at your neighbor and say, I understand. <laughs> that is the truth. There are people who sit next to us, live with us, who will test us. And if our joy depends on everything going right all the time, we're not going to be very happy people. But we will have joy. Joy in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Second mark is found in verse 17, holiness. The verse says, sanctify them. Sanctify them. It's uh, really an exchange of our unrighteousness, our messes of life for the righteousness of Christ. It's like God says to us, you have this enormous debt that you will never be able to pay, but I wanna pay the debt for you and give you residual on top of that. Which do you want? You'd have to be nuts to say, 
I want to carry my own debt that I'll never be able to pay off. So we give our sin to Jesus, our unrighteousness, and he gives us holiness in return. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Romans chapter 10 talks about exchanging our righteousness for God's righteousness. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Doesn't matter how good you think you are, you will never be good enough to earn God's favor. That's an amen. <laughs> there is not enough good in us in, in fact, it was only the grace of God that allows us into his family. It is only his unconditional love extended to us. He sanctifies us. He redeems us. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he started out, when he was first saved, he identified himself as either the chief of apostles or in the NIV, he calls himself not the least among the super apostles, whatever that is. A little bit later, he calls himself the least of the apostles. Then he calls himself the least of all God's saints. And then he says, I'm the chief of sinners. Now, you know, we would think he'd flip that around and do it the other way. We'd say, you know, you're not a good Assemblies of God member because we start off chief of sinners and we want to ascend to be the, uh, the super apostle. But I would tell you this morning that Paul got it right because the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we recognize we have nothing to earn God's favor. It is all his unconditional love and gift to us. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags, smelly, mildewed, all of our goodness. Think of the, uh, the most mildewed thing you've ever had. That's all of your goodness and my goodness. But Jesus says, exchange that for my holiness. There was a uh, circuit riding preacher out in the Old West many years ago who was planting churches. He was looking around for a facility to have services in this one town, and the only place that was big enough to have a bit of a crowd was the town saloon. Figure there wasn't much business on Sunday morning, so he rented the saloon and uh, assembled a, a team to do a church plant, not unlike what we're doing. Middle of the service, kind of like this morning, the doors in the back of the Saloon open and in staggers the town drunk. He looks at the preacher who's standing behind the bar and he says, hey, we got a new bartender this morning. He looked at the choir and said, we got a new floor show this morning. Looked at the pianist and said, we've got a new piano player this morning. Turned around and looked at the people and said, same old crowd. We can't be the same old crowd, church. We can't live the way the world lives. The mark of holiness needs to be the characteristic of our lives. I've told pastors all over the world and in our 
students in our Bible colleges, God wants to expose secret sin to redeem us. Satan wants to expose secret sin to destroy us. And if God and Satan both want to expose secret sin, what prospect do we have of keeping secret sin secret? We don't. It's just a matter of when it will be exposed and to what consequence. So we expose our sin to God. We give him our dirty rags. We give him our stuff. And we allow him to impart to us his righteousness. And everybody said amen. The answer to the lack of holiness and joy, frankly, is truth. The second half of that uh, verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John chapter 15, verse 9 to 11. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The words of Jesus give us joy. The promises of God bring joy in our lives. It gives us that stability and confidence of knowing that we're secure in the plan and hands of God. Jesus said, I've spoken so that you can have joy. Holiness comes as well through a knowledge of God's word. Isn't that what David said in the Psalms? Your word have I hidden in my heart so that I won't sin against you. So the word of God, truth, becomes the source of our joy and becomes a source of our holiness as well. Unfortunately, truth is relative in our world. So many will say, uh, yeah, I'm glad it works for you, but your truth is not my truth. You know what? Truth is absolute. And it's not negotiable. When uh, Bev and I pastored in Messina, I think all of you know where Messina is. It's uh, the frost pocket of the North Country. I've told people it's a wonderful biblical place because it's a place where many are cold and a few are frozen. We, uh, I think we had 56 below zero on the thermometer the one year we were there. House was frozen, Jonathan was a baby, and uh, we had ice on the inside of the, win- on the windows in the house. We couldn't get it up to 60 degrees. It was, it was cold, it was cold. So we were in Messina and there were no AG churches nearby. So we started a fellowship, North Country Association of Evangelicals, and uh, pastors would get together for prayer on Tuesday. Ed Miller was at First Baptist. We had the Advent Christian, Christian Missionary Alliance, Nazarene, uh, Pilgrim Holiness. We would get together and we would pray. So on Tuesday, I'm walking into First Baptist and Ed greets me and he says, hey, Dwayne, we got a new sign out in front. I said, yeah, I saw it. It's a beautiful sign. He said, "Uh, what do you think of what I posted? I said, it's not true. He said, yeah, it is. I said, no, it's not. Good little testy and, uh, you know, Baptist AG and back and forth. He said, it's true. I said, it's not. The sign said, God said it. We believe it. That settles it. He said, what's wrong with that? I said, God settles it. God said it. That settles it. Whether we believe it or not is our issue. God's truth is not God's truth because I believe it. 
God's truth is God's truth because he spoke it. The consequence is I either accept or I reject God's truth. Can we say amen? Kind of like the little Sunday school boy who uh, was trying to get his memory verse and could never get it right, so he never got the, uh, the prize. Finally, one Sunday, he tells his Sunday school teacher, I got it. I got it. Uh, she said, okay, what's the verse? He said, a lie is an abomination to the Lord and a very present help in time of trouble. That's from the reversed version, uh, if uh, you're wanting to look it up. You can ask Pastor Tom, perhaps he can give you a reference on that. The fourth mark. Okay, so we're talking about joy, holiness, truth, mission. Verse 18, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me into the world, so I send you into the world. You see, you didn't get saved just for yourself. God saved you for a purpose. If he didn't have a purpose, you'd be in heaven right now. The fact that you're here breathing air, the fact that you got up this morning, the fact that you have a job to go to tomorrow, the fact is that God has a mission for you just as he had a mission for Jesus, which is to carry the gospel to lost men and women young people, grandparents, and to share the goodness of God. It's not maybe, it's an absolute. It is God's command for us. Jesus said, I am sending you into the world just as the Father who sent me. Mark chapter four says, we are witnesses of these things. And that's really what you're being a witness to. That's what your mission is, to tell your story. And I would tell some of you grandparents and parents, your kids need to hear your story. They need to know where you've come from. Someone might look at at my life and say, wow, it must be pretty nice to serve as the superintendent of the New York Ministry Network. They don't know the backstory. They don't know the story that I told you about being fired from my home church. They don't know that when we were in Messina, when Bev and I first went there and Jonathan and Eileen were babies, we ran out of food because I wasn't paid for four months. We had a tablespoon of peanut butter and spices in the cabinet, no milk, no bread, no nothing, and no money. Nothing. Standing in the kitchen, crying. God, you didn't bring us here to starve us and our kids. An hour later, a lady knocks at the door and says, Pastor, you don't know me that well. I know you're new. Uh, I was shopping in Great American, and God told me to buy double. I have three teenagers. I buy groceries once a month, so I bought double. She said, I loaded everything in the car, and as I'm driving home, the Lord said to me, now go take it to Pastor's house and give him all of it. They see a guy who serves as superintendent over 350 churches. They don't know the miracles of faith and provision that God made. And people don't know the miracles of provision in your life. They need to hear your story. That's your mission, to tell the story of what Jesus has done in you. What's made you the way you are? 
Why can you walk in faith through challenging times? It's because of what God has done in the past, his history, his history. And I would say to you, there's no retirement in God's economy. I don't care how old you are, if you're still here, God still has you on mission. Sixty-five is an arbitrary retirement age started by Otto von Bismarck in Germany to get the old folks out of the workforce so the young folks didn't rebel. That's all it is. And Roosevelt picked it up for America. There is no biblical mandate on 65. There is no magical number. It is a purely arbitrary number, and it doesn't fit in the kingdom of God. Fifth mark. Are you ready? We're closing in on the end. Unity, found in verse 20 to 23. Jesus is praying for every believer here. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, but for all of those who will believe in me through their message. So down through the ages, it's saying Jesus is praying for you and me, that they may all be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they all be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The world is going to believe because of our unity. I've given them the glory that you gave me. That's what I preached on in uh, 2002, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 11, which we read earlier, I'll remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I don't know if you picked up on what Jesus said. He said, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. But then he said, I'm in you. That's why Pastor uh, Luke said, God doesn't show up because he's always in us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He doesn't need to show up. He's not out taking a powder. He's not out to lunch. Wherever you are in your darkest hour, in your deepest need, in the place when you feel the most abandoned, he is still there with you. He has not left you, and he will never leave you. He'll keep you in the midst of those tough times. And it's in those times that we feel his arms wrapped around us. Jesus lives in us, and he will show himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one in in purpose and unity, and he said his prayer is that we would be as united as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As I said, Bev will affirm, I have a wild imagination. My grandkids will tell me the same thing. Matthew's nodding. But in my wildest imagination, I can't picture the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a boxing ring fighting each other. I mean, it just, I can't conceive of that because they are so united. And it is just as absurd to think that there should ever be conflict in a church. I need an amen. God's desire is that we would focus on him And all of the things would be secondary. It's the stuff that I haven't yielded to God that I want to fight over. 
It's the areas that I have not gotten victory over that make me angry. How about you? What is it that lights your fuse? It's stuff that challenges your security. It reminds you of a past pain and you want to defend. If we find our security in the Lord, we can be united together and we don't have to walk in conflict. There was a, uh, a deacon at our church in New York City when we passed, the last church that we pastored before we came to the office was at Belrose, a church where people were born in 42 different countries. I've told you that before. Born in 42 different countries. There were second and third generation beyond that. It was like heaven every week. Um, Danny, one of our deacons, came up to me after service one Sunday and said, uh, Hey, Pastor, you know what's wrong with you? Uh, how, do you how do you answer the question? Yeah? No? So I said, what? what? What's wrong with me? He said, you know, our last pastor, Pastor Burgess, he was 88 when he retired and uh, really kind of handpicked me to follow him. Pastor Burgess taught us stuff. He taught us the scripture, and we felt really good about what we know. He said, the problem with you is you tell us it doesn't matter what we know if we're not practicing it, if we're not doing it. I said, and so what? (laughs) Yeah, because the world doesn't care how much we know until it knows how much we care. It's not just how much you've got in your head. I mean, Satan can quote scripture. He did it to Jesus in the temptation. So it's not just a matter of knowing, it's a matter of putting into practice what we know. And so what does Romans 5, 8 say? It says that God demonstrated his love toward us when while we were still stinkers, sinners, Christ died for us. You see, love is the key. Love is the indicator on all of these areas. John 17, 26, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Now listen, if you take love from joy, you've got hedonism, which is pure selfish pleasure. If you take love from holiness, you've got self-righteousness. Self-righteousness stinks. It's those filthy rags. If you take love from truth, you've got arrogance. Nobody likes to know it all, right? You'll walk to the other side of the street to avoid them. If you take love from mission, you've got colonialism where people are building their own kingdom and feathering their own nests. It's all about them. And if you take love from unity, you've got ecclesiastical formality that has a form of godliness but denies the relational connection that is so vital in the life of a church. A worship team is coming and our prayer partners are coming. You can focus on the scars of your life or you can focus on the marks that Jesus has for you. What do you want to look at and what do you want the world to see? Do they want to see you walking under the scars of rejection and fear and defensiveness? Do you want the world to see your 
walls that you've put up so that you can't be hurt again? Or do you want them to transparently see Jesus in you and being able to walk in the power of his presence and the greatness of his love? I'd like you to stand with me, if you would, please. It was a little thing that we did when we were in New York City. I may have done this once or twice with you before. I'm going to ask you to do it again. I'd like you to look into the eyes of your neighbor, somebody seated next to you. Both eyes, please. I promise not to do it too long. I know it could be a little painful. Repeat after me as you look in their eyes. It's okay. You're not perfect. I love you anyway. Okay, one, one more time now that you know what you're doing. It's okay. You're not perfect. I love you anyway. You see, the, the Bible says, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you not tolerate each other, that you love, you agape each other. That there is that unity of spirit that comes when we are together. You see, if you express love, there's joy. You just, you just smiled at each other when you said, it's okay, I love you anyway, didn't you? And nobody said, oh, I love you anyway. <laughs> there was joy that was there. If you express love for Jesus, there's holiness because we want to be like him, right? We express love for the Word of God, and there's truth because we want that Word to dwell within us and to just reveal the power and presence of God. If you express love for a lost world, there's a sense of divine mission, purpose. If you express love for the body of Christ, there's unity. You see, love is the key to the whole thing. I'm going to ask as the prayer team comes and finds their places. Some of you may have come this morning and uh, you've been thinking about the scars. You've been thinking about the stuff. You've been thinking about the hurts and the loss and the grief and I'm never going to risk again. All of that. And I'm going to ask you today to give that up and to take the marks of Jesus, to allow them to be seen over the pain of your past, to allow God to redeem those situations, the things that you thought were destructive in your life that were going to cripple you and destroy you and wreck you for the rest of your life, that you can give that to the Lord and say, God, I want to be the gospel known by everybody who sees me. I want them to see that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of being rejected or misunderstood, I can reveal Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you to come as I pray. Lord Jesus, right now, I pray that you would search our hearts. There are men and women here who need to be set free from their past. They've looked at the scars. They've remembered the pain, just like I remember that 63 Ford Fairlane bumper. And every time they see those scars or those pains, physically or emotionally, Lord, it becomes something that cripples them. I pray, God, this morning, 
they could lay that down at your feet. I pray that we can give it to you, Lord Jesus, and that you will in our lives allow your marks, your brands to be seen in us, that everyone will know we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We belong to Christ. We're his and his alone. And the Lord, it's not all about us. It's about what you can do through us for what you did was all about us. You gave yourself so that we can have relationship. You gave yourself so that we can be free. You gave yourself and you bore marks so that we could be marked by you. And others would see that we belong to you. So Lord, as we come this morning, I pray God that you would be glorified in our lives in Jesus' name. Would you come so that we could pray with you this morning? God bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your great love to us. Thank you for the scars. Thank you that we can remember your faithfulness. Thank you for the mission that you've called us to. Thank you for the joy that overcomes. Thank you, God, for your rich and wonderful blessings in our lives, for the truth of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Andy, God bless you. Hey, thanks for checking out this week's podcast. We have live services every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in person or online. For more info on that and tons more, you can visit our website. That's wordoflifeag.org.